G'day everyone, welcome to church. Let me, let me echo Brad's welcome to you all. It's so great to have you here worshipping with us this morning. Um, we're at our final, uh, final sermon in our series, uh, Stories of Old. So we're looking at stories from the Old Testament and seeing what there is to learn from them. And just a little quick tip, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, plenty to learn from the Old Testament, let me tell you, plenty to learn. Um, stories are some of the best ways that we as humans take in information. They bring about so much emotion and they, and they fill out so much detail for us when we, when we take in information. It's far more effective to bring someone a story with a moral or a lesson rather than just letting that moral or lesson stand al- alone on its own. For example, uh, imagine the, uh, the classic fable of the tortoise and the hare. So imagine Aesop trying to sit down and, and teach Um, the lesson of slow and steady wins the race, but he just lets that stand alone. He just says, slow and steady wins the race, and and that's all you need to know. Would it be as memorable? Probably not, probably not. And we we know that it is memorable because he starts that lesson with the story of the tortoise and the hare. Everyone knows the story. Everyone knows the story. Why do you think as humans we use analogy and metaphor so much in our conversation? Why are we constantly likening things to um, different other things in our life? It's because it adds understanding and it, it adds flavour and it sticks in the mind just that little bit better. Just that little bit better. Jesus um, himself used, used this method of teaching quite a lot. He would tell stories which would flesh out the, the things that he was saying so not only does he tell us to love our neighbour, but then he goes on and gives us a story emphasising who our neighbours are and also telling us how to become a good neighbour. So that's the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you, if you didn't know. So in this series, we, we've heard a couple of classics. We've heard Noah and the Ark. We've heard David and the Psalm. We've heard a couple of others. And today's story of old isn't going to be any less of a classic, I hope. Um, I've probably hyped it up a little bit too much now. Um, if you spent any time in Sunday school at all, um, you'll know this story. You'll absolutely know this story. And let me tell you, it has it all. It has the promise of money. It has kings. It has prophets. It has angels. And it has donkeys. It's a pretty good one. It's like the Shrek of, of Bible stories. Anyway, let me pray before I start reading it out and before we start getting into the word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the gift that is your word. We thank you that there is so much in there to learn and we thank you that you have given it to us so that we may live lives that glorify you, live lives that get to know you better. God, would you be with me as I teach this this morning? Would you um, aid my voice? Would you aid my words? Would you aid my thought as I deliver this? And God, would you help us to um, to hear the story of Balaam and his, and his donkey and would you help us to apply it to our lives? In your mighty name, Amen. Amen. So let's hop into the Word and see what God has for us this morning. So I'm going to be telling the story of Balaam and the donkey. So join with me in Numbers 22, starting at verse verse 21, or just follow along with the verses on the bottom of the screen there. So Numbers 22, verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. 
Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards, with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam and he was angry and he beat it with his staff. Then the Lord appeared, uh, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make me, to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always written to this, ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realise you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. So I call this story, the Bible's Shrek, pretty tongue-in-cheek. But at the same time, it has some interesting similarities. You've got a, a talking donkey. You've got a king wanting someone to do his dirty work for him. You've got a journey of discovery and learning. Um, and you have a guardian blocking the way. And I think most interestingly of all, both of these stories are supposed to be comedies. They're supposed to be comedies. You can imagine being an Israelite and you're settled in the promised land years after this event has happened and telling this story to your children about the prophet frustrating the enemy's, the, the enemy king's plans and the donkey frustrating Balaam's plans and God ultimately watching on, blessing and protecting Israel from afar. You can imagine travelling to the River Jordan, travelling close to the borders of Israel and then looking up to this mountain or, or that mountain and retelling the words that were spoken over God's people as they camped outside the promised land, ready to enter it and ready to claim it. So the section I read out is part of a larger story. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to read it sometime during the week. So it's from chapters numbers, from numbers chapter 22 to 24. And then I'd also encourage you to flip a couple of pages forward and flip a couple of pages back as well. And just take note of the titles of the passages um, around this section. So ultimately, these chapters come at a seriously weird point in the book of Numbers. Israel have not been God's perfect people following the law, you know, perfectly and devotionally. They're wandering and they're distant from God. This story with Balaam and his donkey happens after they reject God's plan to enter the land and God condemns them to wander outside the promised land. This story happens after they grumble continually against God and God brings a plague of snakes upon them. And this story happens after Moses strikes a rock instead of speaking to it to draw out water and God refuses to let Moses enter the promised land. But yet, in this story, in these few chapters, God will allow Balaam to bless the people of Israel three times. 
And then they become perfect, right? And they start following God. You know, there's a complete change of heart, happens overnight. Wrong. No, it doesn't happen like that. The very first section of chapter 25 sees the Israelites continuing in their disobedience. So why does God choose to bless them here? Obviously, they haven't earned it at all. Obviously, it hasn't changed anything for them. So what's the point? What's the point of Balaam blessing the Israelites? I usually give you my big point right off the bat, so here it is. My big point for this morning is that God's plans cannot be ruined by human action. God's plans cannot be ruined by human action. God is simply too great to allow that to happen. His purposes cannot be outwitted. They can't be outsinned or they can't be generally ruined by people. So let me read to you from Psalm 97 verses 2 to 6. It says this, Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are his throne's foundation. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning illuminates the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before, at the presence of the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the peoples see his glory. God is so great and his plans are not ruined by human action. And this story is no different. God's plans are not going to be ruined by a foreign king, a wicked prophet or the disobedience of his people. God will continue his promises to Abraham that he made all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. He isn't going to get, let little old me, he isn't going to let little old you or little old Israel or little old Balaam get in the way of his objective promises to his people. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's just have a look at this story specifically and learn something from Balaam and his donkey. So to start with, let's just have a look at the main character for the moment. Let's have a look at Balaam. It could be the easiest thing for me to just look at this story in isolation and tell you to be more like Balaam without any context at all. See, he inquires of God for every decision that he makes. You should be more like Balaam. See, he understands that he has done the wrong thing and he wants to do what God wants. You should be more like Balaam. But do not be fooled. If you take this story in isolation, it makes Balaam out to be some good guy following God and doing all the right things. But he's very much a bad guy in this story. Uh, first of all, he's not an Israelite. He is a foreign prophet for hire. And clearly he's very good at his job if kings are coming to him, wanting him to curse armies for them. Numbers 22 verses 4 to 5 show Balaam being hired by the king of Moab to curse the Israelites. He's being hired by Israel's enemies to curse them so that the Moabites might be able to defeat them. A good guy wouldn't curse God's people. A godly man would know that no matter how much money was on offer, this was the wrong thing to do. But yet God is using Balaam to accomplish his purposes. And this is very, very strange. Why would God not use one of his own people to bless Israel? Why wouldn't God use Moses or Aaron to pronounce blessings on his chosen people rather than a foreign prophet who was hired for the exact opposite reason? 
Like I mentioned earlier, Israel and Moses have both been disobedient to God over the course of the book of Numbers. Balaam is, in a sense, is standing in for Moses. God doesn't use one of the Israelites for this job, but it is still a little wild that he would look to Israel's enemies to find the solution. It only adds to the comedy and the irony of this whole story. The king of Moab wants the prophet to curse Israel, but he can only find one who can bless Israel. God wants to bless his people, and he doesn't use a godly leader like Moses, but instead uses an enemy like Balaam. This is just one more clear example that God uses whoever he wants to accomplish his purposes. He doesn't rely on that person being the most spiritual around. He doesn't rely on that person to be the most obedient or the most faithful. But he accomplishes his purposes in spite of the flaws of the people he uses. In a sense, this carries over into our life as Christians too. We were once enemies of God, but have been brought into relationship through the work of Jesus. And now, how much more can we be used to accomplish God's purposes in the world now that we are on the same team as him? If God can use his enemies, how much more can he use those who are reconciled to him? Romans chapter 5 verse 10 puts it really, really well. It says this, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God does not let his enemies get in the way of his plans, but rather he uses them to accomplish his plans. And we know that Balaam, later in the story, doesn't have this miracle change of heart and join in with Israel after seeing the truth and having a you know, shining light dawn on him. Um, in chapter 31 of Numbers, we see that Balaam dies alongside Israel's enemies. So he's obviously still working for them. He's obviously still being paid to try and um, win the fight against Israel. God's plans are not ruined by human action. Even through the failings of his own people, God still finds a way to bless them and continue upholding his promises to them, even if it comes through Israel's enemy. So using an enemy to pronounce blessing over Israel goes about as straightforwardly as you would probably expect. Um, instead of selfless obedience and faithfulness to God from Balaam, God instead finds selfish disobedience. It would make sense that though God conditionally permitted him to go um, to the king of Moab, Balaam is thinking only of the money to be made from this journey and not about obedience to the God of Israel. And as such, Balaam is not the only unlikely character in this story that is used by God. This passage primarily tells of, ba of God grabbing Balaam's attention, all done through the awareness and perception of a donkey. Balaam, for all his connection to the divine as a prophet or whatever, is spiritually blind to what is going on right in front of him. The angel of the Lord is blocking the way for him to go to the king of Moab, and he would have killed him if he had passed by. But the donkey that Balaam is riding on sees the angel and responds. The donkey. So not the prophet, not the super spiritual guy riding on the donkey, but the donkey. In this whole story, 
It is the donkey who is the most spiritually perceptive, the most aware of God's presence. Once again, irony, irony. This is why it makes for such a good Sunday school story. You have this talking donkey leading Balaam to safety and away from the judgment of God. And after beating and threatening the animal that has saved his life, Balaam has his eyes opened to the true situation as well. He finally sees the danger he was in and the gravity of the situation. God grabs Balaam's attention in a remarkable way. There's a lot to be said about the service that the donkey shows to Balaam. Um, Although the donkey was not in danger itself, it steers Balaam out of harm's way as well. Had the donkey not perceived the angel, or at the very least, had it not cared, Balaam would have died for his selfish disobedience to God, and Israel would have remained unblessed. Ultimately, God's purposes are accomplished through the perception of a donkey. Do you still think that God cannot use you? Do you still think so highly of yourself that you reckon you can get in the way of God's plan? Do you still think so little of God that you assume that he can't possibly use you? The miracle of the donkey speaking to Balaam only serves to heighten the irony of this story. Despite Balaam being permitted by God to speak only the word that God tells him, it is the donkey that is the mouthpiece for God in this moment. Once again, an example of God using the humble things of the world to shame the wise. The dumbest creature in this story is being used to shame the smartest. God's plans are not ruined by human action. So the lesson that I want to leave with you this morning is just a really, 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 really simple one. I'm not even going to pref- I'm not even going to um, pretend that it's profound or unthought of or brand new or whatever. The lesson is this: God can use you. God's plans cannot be ruined by your action. Do you feel like an enemy to God? Do you feel like it would make much more sense for God to use someone else? other than you. God can still use you. God still wants to use you. Do you feel like you are one of the humble things in this world? Do you feel like there are smarter and more capable people out there, even around you, who would be better to use? God can still use you. And God still wants to use you. So take encouragement that if God can use Balaam and a donkey to achieve his purposes in the world and bless his people, then he can surely use you who desire to be used by him. Let me pray as we finish. Gracious God, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that we find in there. We thank you for the grace that we find in there as well. We thank you that although... Israel are a bit of a disobedient example that you still choose to bless them. We thank you that you can still use people like Balaam and and people like the donkey and that they can be such witnesses to us who actually want to be used by you. So God, this week, would you help us to go out? Would you help us to be focused on, on being used by you? And God, would you place us in situations and in opportunities where we can be the most effective? God, we want to serve you. Would you help us to serve you? In your mighty, mighty name. Amen. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Uh, We'll see you next week.
and we'll see you in person very, very soon. Thank you.